Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey toward senior leadership in the charitable world. Thank you for listening and for your great feedback. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. This episode is no exception. I had a fantastic conversation with Kim Lanfear, who's the CEO of an organization called Aparo, which helps nonprofits leverage technology and improve their business processes so they can be more effective and accomplish their mission. Of course, right now, technology is at the forefront for all of us as we navigate this largely virtual setting for almost every aspect of our organizations. Regardless of the situation external to our organizations, this episode is going to give you so much more than just technology, as Kim's professional journey and her observations of many nonprofits makes for an episode full of takeaways. You know, three things in particular to listen for. Number one, what are corporate partners looking for in their nonprofit alliances, and how can you apply some of Aparo's unique strategies to your nonprofit and its relationships in the community? Number two, even if you're not a techie, you have to embrace technology as a nonprofit leader. And Kim shares three processes that they use that may well help you as you evaluate and improve your organization. And finally, we talk about Aparo's remarkable success doing a virtual fundraising event. And that's something I know every nonprofit is contemplating, particularly those more dependent on special events to raise money. Uh, don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode in particular. Number, it's number 67. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources, the links, the articles, as well as more information on Kim and the great work she's doing at Aparo. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, check it out and let us know how we can help you or your nonprofit with its strategy, its fundraising, or help you personally with your journey into senior leadership through one of our coaching or training programs. In particular, our mastermind program is getting great response, and that may be something you want to check out. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kim Lamphere. Kim, thank you for joining me on the path. Well, I'm glad to be on the path with you. <laughs> Well, delighted to have this conversation, Kim. Um, nonprofit leaders, frankly, everywhere have had to venture into the realm of technology, whether they like it or not. Uh, and, and so you are a perfect one to talk to about technology and, and how we as nonprofit leaders, our listeners can get more comfortable with it and leverage resources like you and the wonderful work you're doing at Aparo. So we'll unpack that. But first, uh, tell our listeners, Kim, if you would, how did you get into nonprofit leadership? Um, fairly circuitously. Um, I, in college, I was an actress and singer, and that's what I thought I would want to do. And <laughs> wow. uh, we had a theater program that was run by students, and it was about to be kicked off campus. And I took over and um, saved it from being kicked off campus and, and became made it a partner for the deans and things like that. And in the course of doing that, um, and my senior year, I decided, hey, you know, this leadership thing, I kind of got that skill set, too. Maybe I don't want to act for a living. Maybe I want to do that avocationally and do this management of nonprofits thing. So I went and got my master's in that and um, 
in the course of getting my master's, I decided I wanted to go in the corporate philanthropy giving side because I really get that concept of partnerships between corporations and nonprofits and how they um, can be symbiotic and have stronger fundraising for the nonprofit and stronger impact for the community as partners. And um, eventually got into it in a very circuitous way, went into uh, banking uh, to do that corporate social responsibility kind of role through with the marketing arm of the, of the business. Right. And um, then was recruited by a professional theater. And, um, and that was my first uh, nonprofit uh, role to be the executive director of a professional theater up in uh, Chicago. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so you truly have benefited from both sides, if you will, of the fence, right? For-profit mm -hmm. and non-profit. And yes. clearly you have maximized that understanding uh, and led to <clears throat> success you've had. Um, well, Kim, you know, I'm, I'm asking all of my guests under the circumstances of this virtual world in which we live, how are you managing personally to stay productive and effective? And have you found any particular uh, tips or tricks that might help others who are listening? Yeah, I, I have found one trip tip. And uh, I found that others have been really grateful when I have shared it. So I'll share it here. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. You have up days and you have down days. And I happened to run across an article in the Harvard Business Review that talked about understanding the regressive elements of, of your psychological dealing with this pandemic. And I shared it with my team and I've shared it with other people. And, and basically what it talks about is this, what I refer to as a heat thermometer. And in the beginning of something, a crisis, like the one we're in the middle of, um, you have this incredibly intense, everybody's on the same page, everybody's rowing at the same time. There, there's an, an adrenaline about we've got to step into this incredibly chaotic and, and dreadful time. Right. And so everybody's on this heat map of 10. And that's where a lot of people are and they understand that feeling. They, they, and then when they come off of it, because this is so, so protracted and so long, um, what's happened is we've gone through this, these other kinds of feelings as well. And when I shared this with my team, there, the other spectrum is this, when you're down at the two instead of the 10, is all you wanna do is go and lie down on the couch. In right. the middle of the day, you'll look at your PC and you feel like I can't do anything more. I, I just can't even do it for no reason. Not because, you know, and then you might have feelings of, I, I don't feel enthused about what I'm doing. And, and that's scary. And you're thinking, why? Such a good but this point. article yep. talks about it's okay to be at the two, the 10, and you want to aim for the six. And so we do touch points periodically about, you know, where are you on the two and the 10? And um, some days the two is really, really hard because I don't get up to the 10 much anymore because it's so protracted. Um, but the two days are hard and they're still around. Do you give people a break? Is that in essence as a leader, Kim, you're like, all right, if one of my colleagues is at a two, is that something that obviously you're sensitive to and kind of accommodate? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we talk about it. And first of all, I think that's a big thing to be able to say to the room. Yeah. I mean, that's what I found people reacted to about this article was, oh my gosh, I had no, you know, I've been feeling that thing that too. And I thought I was losing my passion for my job. I thought I was, wow. you know, and, and not understanding. Then, right? Yes. Just to be validated that, yeah, that's part of this whole long-term crisis thing. And um, so validating it is a big step, I think. And then giving them grace to say, hey, when you're, when you're at a two and it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're looking at your PC and you're like, I, I just can't, then don't. Good you know, for you. Maybe you'll feel energy tomorrow or maybe you'll feel energy tonight and you'll come back. I mean, it's not I'm giving you grace to not do your job, but yeah, right. giving you grace to have, have the feelings that you have during this very difficult time, particularly you know, those who are living in challenging housing, tight housing environments or lots of kids. I mean, that, you know, 
that, that, this make, that makes that doubly challenging, right? All of this. Such good advice, Kim. And that's, I think, something we're all struggling with. But it's great to hear how you articulate that. And you're right, provide grace that we and all I can need. give you the link to that article, too, if you want. Please do. We will yeah. include that in the show notes because I think that's something that a, uh, all of our listeners could benefit from uh, even more. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Aparo. For our okay. listeners not familiar with Aparo and may not have an organization like it in their community, tell us, what is it? Well, Aparo is fairly unique. And um, it's easy for me to say that Aparo works to amplify the missions of other nonprofits by empowering them with technology and business process, knowledge, guidance, and solutions. Right. So that's easy to say. <laughs> right. What does that really mean? And yes. I think the best way to say what does it mean is we create community collaboration. So we sit between the corporate community, particularly the technology suites, and we find ways for them to engage their teams with nonprofits to solve business process and technology solutions that nonprofits have. And even more importantly, well, that's pretty important, but right. we help the nonprofit understand where they might have that issue. Because sometimes the biggest issue for nonprofits is they don't even know the questions to ask to solve the solutions. And we come in and help them understand what the questions are. And then we stay, what's unique to us is we're not just a match.com platform. We stay involved with the partnerships. So we curate content with the corporate partners and we facilitate solution engagements that are put together so that there is a translator in the room. So what is created as a solution um, can be sustained. We are all about, can the nonprofit sustain what is delivered by the skilled volunteer group once the volunteer group leaves? That's more important than it be a sexy technology solution that you know uh, looks good on paper. It has to be able to be, meet the nonprofit where they are in resources and knowledge and still move their mission forward. I love that. And as I'm sure we'll talk about, because I, I would imagine nonprofits, perhaps some, in some cases intimidated by technology, oh, yeah. would assume that, well, you know, Kim, you're going to come in and be way over our head and provide us things that we just can't implement. But it sounds like you're very sensitive to meeting them where they are. That is exactly, that's exactly right, the patent. Um, we are there to advocate for the nonprofit as well as the corporate partner. Um, and, and we've done both, you know, because what, so I, I like to think about it when a corporate partner comes in often, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but often, not always, a corporate partner comes in with the right solution. And it is the right solution. It is 100% the right solution. There's right. no question about it. And when they state it, the nonprofit leader is like, wow, that's just what I need, right? That, that would solve so many problems. But what neither of them are getting into is, okay, it's the right solution, but how is the nonprofit, to repeat, going to sustain it? Do right. they have the knowledge, resources, and will they be able to have the long-term money um, to be able to really implement and make that real? And so that's where we come in. It's right there at that sweet spot to help that nonprofit director who's excited about doing something to improve the way their painful businesses because they're so under-resourced and help them understand the questions to ask um, so that they do get something they can actually use and make their world better. I love that. And it sounds like there's at least three parts, right? It's identifying the issue, mm -hmm. it's implementing a solution, but then maybe most importantly, sustaining it. 
because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I could see if I'm a nonprofit leader that you're going to give me a fancy new technology toy to play with, mm-hmm. but I, I might be nervous uh, to continue it. And it sounds like you're kind of building that in to the partnership, I guess, going forward. Yes. And oftentimes it's more business process than it is truly technology. I mean, it's gotcha. always around the technology suite, but oftentimes, because when you look at how you do technology, you know, there's, there's a pyramid and it's about um, process first. You know, if your process isn't clean, laying a technology solution over it, technology is a fast enabler of success and a very fast enabler of chaos if you don't have Such the right point. processes and people trained. So that that pyramid is process on the bottom, then people in the middle, and then you put the technology on. So oftentimes we're working in those bottom two sectors, moving the nonprofit forward so they can get to a point where there's a technology element that can move them forward too. I love that. And again, you and I have talked about, I think in the past, uh, an equivalent I've seen as a fundraiser. Um, We buy fancy fundraising kind of software, you know, Mm -hmm. donor driven software, but then frankly don't know how to use it. Right. And so I guess that's your point, right? You can buy fancy equipment or technology or whatever, but if you haven't built in the business process and the personnel to manage it, it really isn't going to do you any good. That's exactly right. And actually the, the donor platform is, we do that. You know, we work in those donor platform areas, helping nonprofits understand what uh, donor platform might be the best solution for them. And you are hundred percent right. That is in both the for-profit world and the nonprofit world. That is where the rubber hits the mo- road. Are you using a tool that you really will be able to use? Um, Absolutely. And, and balancing the amount you're paying for it versus what you're going to use. You know, if you're only going to use 5% of it, is it really the right expensive tool? Or would it be better to be using 50% of something that is, you know, less expensive? And, and, yeah. and that's the journey is figuring that out. Well, you've been remarkably successful in creating partnerships. I know that is just a big part of your personal Anna Poro's kind of mission. Um, yes. How do you do that? And, and in particular, you've been on the other side. What are these corporate partners looking for and how do you kind of bring these partnerships together? Um, it's relationships. It's very labor intensive, honestly. Um, it's long-term. It's, uh, it's having the right partners in the room. So we have for many, many years, how long have we been around? 17 years. Um, we've developed, and, and it wasn't me that started, it was somebody before me, sure. uh, these deep relationships with the chief information officers of corporations in the community who really are passionate about the ability for technology to transform. And they don't always get that time, that the ability to do that in their day job, but we do it every single day. Even if it's a silly thing like a nonprofit employee who has a, a spreadsheet that's got 600 rows and 300 columns and they have to do this report every week and they're using a calculator to sum up all those columns. Well, just to let them know there's an (laughs) auto sum button takes what was a five or six hour literally project and makes it a five minute. Now that's an exact, an exaggerated situation though. There we have actually had that situation. Um, But that shows you how even at the most minuscule level you've transformed and these CIOs get that. So bringing the right partners to the table at the very beginning and cultivating those relationships, not for money necessarily, not for anything but the shared values in that whole pyramid of philanthropy around, I always believe that fundraising isn't about asking for money. It's about identifying shared values and giving someone who is excited about a shared value an opportunity to act on that value. And, love and that. Th- 
you know, that's what it is. It's what I've been taught and that's what I believe. So it makes it very comfortable to talk about money because if I'm leaning into a space where you're really passionate, I'm probably not even asking for money. You're wanting to invest because you know that it can make a difference. And that's how we built these, the basis of these partnerships is creating advocates in the community who are willing to say, I get it because it's complicated. And, um, you know, having those advocates is really key to building the partnerships and having those advocates in the corporations. And, and I think, Frank, quite honestly, most of us in, in, in terms of seeking corporate partnerships are probably going through the corporate responsibility or the foundation or marketing, but you found a unique path to the CIOs and their teams. And, and it sounds like they've been wonderfully responsive. I guess you, yes. they get these types of issues. Do you go to them, Kim, with like, hey, let me tell you about some of the issues we see in the nonprofit community to help them understand specifically how they can contribute or how, how do you kind of start that partnership discussion? Um, we have a series of events, which are challenging right now, obviously. And during that series of events that we put together, there's always a moment of impact where we share, um, you know, what's going on and what their engagement is enabling in the community. And oftentimes our very, very, very generous um, CEOs of area nonprofits who've partnered with us come and, and speak uh, about their own missions as well as ours and how the two intertwine. And they're very generous about that. Um, and so we, we try to bring as much as we can to those events. Uh, we are also intentional about sending out um, messages to them, email. Uh, so that's what we do. So that's what we do. Yeah, and that gets uh, that builds the awareness and, yeah. and creates and testimonial value, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, and we're intentional about that, like like all nonprofits are. You know, we want to make sure in front of our constituents we're getting that message out in a way that's compelling, speaks their language, and you know resonates with them so they understand what they're empowering. Well, and I'm guessing that this partnership, in, in addition to all the value you've already expressed. Um, I'm assuming it also helps you identify individual volunteers or if, so if my company gets involved as a partner that I, I assume there's also then kind of an individual outreach to, to seek volunteers who literally will go into the nonprofit and help with the project. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, as much as the C-suite leaders are excited about the transformation, they're also very excited about the ability for two things, the ability to build a, environment and culture that empowers their technology professionals to get engaged in the community because it builds an environment that improves talent acquisition yes. and talent retention. And in the technology world, that is a huge issue because there's, there's a, a lack, there's, there's a, a missing, <laughs> there's a percentage of roles that can't be filled because there aren't enough people who have the skills. Right. So you want to make sure if you get the people, First of all, what are you doing to make sure your environment's attractive to them so they'll come? And what are you doing to make sure they'll stay? And so skilled volunteering with your technology skills. Technologists are about as passionate about technology as nonprofit employees are about nonprofit work. Right. So you give them an opportunity to work together and you've got a real win-win situation. I love that. And the other side is professional development. So technologists are trained to be linear, right? It is important that they check all the boxes, they dot all the I's, I's and cross all the T's as they're moving down a path from uh, conception to implementation. And their leaders want them to be thinking out of the box, to be thinking collaboratively, because they want them to be able to, while being able to do that linear process, make sure they're aligned to the business and the marketing elements of the company. 
so that they're delivering both. This opportunity, when you step out of an enterprise company or a medium-sized company or a small company, and you step into the nonprofit world and you realize how you have to shift, these volunteers self-identify that they improve their skills in collaboration, leadership, and out-of-the-box thinking. So it's exactly what these leaders want on two fronts. Uh, perfect. And obviously that makes your case even stronger to that CIO that not only am I going to give your talent an opportunity to demonstrate something they want to do, which is kind of community impact and all that, but they're also getting to kind of exercise those muscles, right? right. Creative thinking, <laughs> out of the box thinking and, and so forth. Um, how, how does the financial model work, Kim? So it, mm. there's also a partnership there. I take it that sure you'd like, these corporations to also support some of the projects they help with financially? Yes. Um, honestly, we don't, we want more of that than we've got. Um, but we do have some very generous partners who do uh, walk right alongside it because there's two equip, two parts of delivering this, three parts. There's the skilled volunteer, uh, there's the Aparo time, um, and then there's the nonprofit time. And so how do you fund that? Um, and that that is challenging because often Sometimes uh, companies will say, well, I'm giving you the resources of the volunteers. Don't ask me to for money. Yeah, so that right. can happen. Right. Um, but more and more, we're getting companies leaning into understanding that, oh, yeah, it's, it's both. Um, and our format right now, our model relies heavily on this series of events that we put together and sponsorships from companies who want access to C-suite technology leaders and want to be in the room with those leaders at those ser that series of events. And so um, uh, they pay us sponsorships to do that. And that's a little unique uh, in most nonprofit models because we have this very unique silo uh, right, of, of right. engaged individuals. But that's how we raise most of our money. Um, you know, foundations are not the easiest nor the most willing to uh, pay for services like ours, which aren't direct service. Right, <clears throat> right. And so... Um, that's not a best solution for us. There are very generous individual donors as well who support our work, um, but it's mostly corporate social responsibility and marketing dollars, sales dollars of uh, companies. Because again, you create a unique environment to interact with this niche, if you will, of right. the technology world, right? And right. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And well, and, and I, I take it this has also allowed you to build what is literally an all-star board of directors. Maybe you could talk about oh how goodness. you've done that. Oh my goodness. I have, I have the best board of directors. So I'm sorry for those of you listening. If you think you do, sorry, I got, them. <laughs> um, I have a big board of directors. So I've got 24 and at any given time, I have 20 people who would be interested in being on this board of directors um, because we have created an environment that is both collegial, um, engaging and very passionate about the mission. Um, and, and the, you know, I, I have the, these individuals are senior level people in, in medium, small, and, and enterprise global level companies. And they give us their time generously and they give us their advocacy generously. And they are great thought leaders in this space. So they really challenge us and um, enable us. So it, it's, it's an incredible board of directors. Yeah, I, I want to I dive into that because it, it is to your credit. Um, how do you create a waiting list, if you will? I mean, I guess the interaction with each other given the strength of the current board, that makes it, it attractive for others. But yes. are there other things you do, to, I guess, to, to keep them engaged? Um, you know, it, it's in some ways, um, you know, because it's so technologically focused, we don't have some of the diversity of um, industry, right, in the room. 
because it's very technology focused and we're actually working on that figuring right. out how we can bring different voices to the community when you talk about diversity and, and on a board um we have diversity in other ways but along that you know they're all technology focused with the exception of a few nonprofit leaders and so how do we that creates an incredible camaraderie in the room right so that's natural just because of that um and they so are aligned to the mission that they just love hearing what what the work does and how we're enabling the community and and because we we are intentional about creating social moments after the board meeting where people nice. can get to know each other that's really important we have fun in board meetings we laugh um and, and it, it creates friends um, when my board members roll off um they typically don't want to go away because they've made friends and they don't want to leave the friends so they stay peripherally involved and and supporters and advocates and mentors to me um which is just an incredibly I'm in a grateful, you know, position. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And you've created a system and a culture, really, right, that, mm -hmm. that almost self-sustains. And that is something I think we can all learn from. And how have you adapted, like everything else, in, in this virtual environment? Obviously, your meetings, I guess, are now more virtual, which is not great in some cases. But talk about how you've maintained kind of board engagement through this virtual kind of world. Um, <clears throat> early on, um, I created a process of um, sending a weekly update early on in the, in the COVID environment, just so they'd know what was going on because right. we were pivoting so quickly to address the needs of nonprofits going remote and struggling with that. So, um, you know, sent, sent a lot of those weekly updates. You know, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening in the community. Here's how we're responding to it, those kinds of things. And that created a cadence that I continue to do maybe monthly now, where I send out, you know, updates so that they can see the work um, you know, links to our blog, links to um, TV interviews, you know, those kinds of things so that they can see the kind of work and, and touch the outcomes, not just the business of the board meeting. Right. Um, we oftentimes, we haven't actually done it, but we need to start doing it again. Um, we will start bringing in EDs from corporate, from you know, nonprofit partnerships and, um, you know, have them talk about how the partnership worked or didn't and how it enabled their mission. And again, that's really rewarding for the board to hear that and be able to ask questions. Um, and we have a little happy hour afterwards, a remote, you know, virtual happy hour at the end of the board really? for those who were able to stay. So we have that laughing fun time with one another. And it's usually about half to a third, maybe a third of the board who actually stays. Um, but, but it's fun and um, it keeps the camaraderie going. Um, but it's challenging. But I'll tell you, this remote thing, I've never had better board attendance. And isn't that interesting? I've heard yeah. from other organizations and colleagues, you and I both know that mm -hmm. the board member who would not have maybe driven in for the meeting uh, because of their circumstance perhaps does indeed dial into the Zoom, right? Yeah, so that's kind of amazing. Um, right. And it hasn't stopped the engagement. You know, these board members are still asking their questions. They're still having debates. Good. They're still having the conversation. So that's, you know, actually great <laughs> well let me ask you this you know again turning to our our friends our listeners that are nonprofit leaders what are some of the key technology issues you see they are perhaps struggling with you know you and i talked about donor databases as an example but i'm curious as you get into kind of that that first stage of identifying nonprofit technology challenges what are some of the main things you run into um, it's very clear what the three projects are that we do the most. And that is a business process roadmap 
which means a, a consulting partner comes in or a business partner who knows how to do this comes in and helps a nonprofit understand their business processes, how, wow. how things happen in each of the different departments and where things are a mess and where they're running really smoothly. And if done right with a nice little heat map, it's a really nice visual to be able to say, here's green, here's red. And then it's a really wonderful tool to be able to say, this is where we need to focus. This is where you need to bring in some resources or have another community impact project with volunteers that helps you make this cleaner because you will be more efficient and effective if this is at least yellow, not even yeah, red. Right, right, right. And it's also a wonderful tool for the board to understand. And, and, and it's a wonderful tool for the executive director then to do the work and be able to go back to the board with another visual that says, look, we had red, now we have green. Yes. And sometimes those things are really hard to articulate to the board. My team is working on these really important things that may not feel like it's mission forward. It isn't feeding the children. It isn't educating the children. It isn't taking care of injured pets. You know, it's, it's, the, the work behind the scenes that makes that possible. But yeah, and ultimately so, it does, right? Ultimately right, it really right. does. It, it absolutely does. It makes you able to have <laughs> all of, you know, what are the five criteria that we look at of all the work that we do? So we're looking at, will it drive increased revenues? Will it drive decreased expenses? Will it enable increased reach? So you'll go beyond the, the reach that you have right now. Right. Will it increase, decrease risk? for your organization. So right. something that was really going to implode isn't going to. And the fifth one is, did it expand your mission? So sometimes it's about, if I can do this, then I can actually pivot to this other place that I really need to pivot to alongside what I'm doing. So those are the five criteria. And this that's a tool, business love process that. roadmap. Yeah, love that. And the other one we do often is a tech plan, which is talking about what is your infrastructure now? And again, what's red, what's green, what's yellow? Where do you need to, uh, and it's really good for nonprofits to see that they have green. Yes. You know, sometimes they're, af they're so afraid to look at it all because they don't understand it and, and, and they don't need to, right? They're, they're, they're teachers, they're social workers, they're, you know, people who are doing work in the community. They don't understand. But sometimes you're assuring them that in fact, they are doing some good things, right? Yeah. It's not always a come yeah. in and find problems. It's not that it's all a mess. It's only this one thing. Or right. these three things, you know, right. whatever it is, but there's, there's some good in here. So be, be, be good about that. Yep. And so a tech plan can be really, you know, important um, so that you can think about how you're going to fund and how you're going to implement and how you're, what, where you need to go next. And the other is application selection. So like you were talking about, um, Patton, um, you know, like a, a data donor, donor database a donor, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and really the biggest part of that is, um, Yes, there's the implementation of the software, and that comes in a paid engagement with the or engage in organization that you choose to go with. Right. But it's making sure you take the time up front to think about what is it I need this to do, what is it that I have to have it do, and what is it that I would really love it if it could do. And then go to the market, price those things, and come back and say, okay, how much really want it can I afford? Yes. And you, then pick the right tool that way. If you just go about it quickly in the internet search, you can end up putting something in that once again, uh, can enable technology can enable failure just as quickly as it can enable success. Well put. Powerful tool. But you become my ally and my kind of expert mm -hmm. uh, partner in making these decisions. I mean, do you find Kim that the, the, the first barrier to breakthrough is a, I guess a nonprofit has to acknowledge they, what they don't know. 
because you're probably uncovering things that they would have never thought about. And that's yeah. indeed back to your business process analysis. Yeah, we have this wonderful team of employees who um, we refer to as our tech therapists. And that was a name that our nonprofits gave us because <laughs> right. they were like, I feel like I've had a wonderful therapy session and I feel so much better. So we came up with that name, tech therapist, because that's what they said we were. Um, but these wonderful employees, Stephanie McKee and Ben Knutson, um, are available at no cost to the community. And they, they just advise, guide, listen. And, you know, because they come from a technology background and a nonprofit background, um, they get both sides and they understand what they're hearing are, and are able to translate the, the pain that a nonprofit is expressing or the fear into something that the nonprofit can understand and relate to and say, oh, that would help me. Well, yeah, bring that on. I'd love to do that, you know, kind of thing. And sometimes it's just the call. Sometimes it's a connection. We have a whole group of referrals that Stephanie has created in the community um, of providers that are philanthropic in their approach to everything from telephony to internet providing to, um, you know, deeper into the hardware purchasing and then, how, you know, even the help desk, uh, managed services kinds of environments. So it's all kinds of providers who get it and we can refer and say, here's, here's a place to start if you want to talk to somebody. And uh, Stephanie will oftentimes sit in the room and help translate as well while they're talking yes, to them. Yes. Uh, because again, you know, I think about it when I hire a financial person, I, I know finance, but I don't really know accounting terribly well. Yes. Right. So it's hard for me to interview somebody when I've only got one person on my team that is that skill set, right? Um, how do I make sure I know they're going to do the job? Yes. I don't do right. that. So, um, you know, I always have somebody help me with that because I don't know all the right questions to ask. And so Stephanie has done that and then Ben as well multiple times. Well, I love it. And, and again, it just reinforces the point that you can, or you anticipate my question. All right, you know, Kim, you helped me find a solution, but now I got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so you're continuing to help me navigate uh, that purchase uh, kind of opportunity yeah. uh, at discount prices, in fact, right. because of your network. And And it would seem to me, Kim, you would help me then articulate to one of my funders the advantage of this technology solution, right? You you literally are helping me build a case for support that I could go to my funders and say, hey, let me show you. Kim's got this heat map, (laughs) literally, that could show us how we can transform our program. Yes. And, uh, you know, but is that what you often find kind of at the, the later stage of these projects or partnerships? Um, you know, I, I don't know if the nonprofits are using it in that way. I would hope that they would. Um, but I, I haven't, I, ha- I don't know that, honestly. Sure. Um, we, we never stop a partnership. So once you've come into us for an educational program or you've come into us for tech therapy or, or you've come into us for a solution, we're always circling back. How's it going? Because we want the solution to be sustained. So we want to circle back. And I remember when, when I had time to do some of those circle backs, which I miss and I love them. Um, but I just loved them because the nonprofit was always nervous when we were right. Oh, right. they're coming in to check on what we've done. Oh no, we haven't done anything. <laughs> oh, this is awful, awful, awful. And then you sit down, even with something like a technology plan, I'll, I'll never forget this one with a particular nonprofit partner. And I could feel the tension in the room. They were like, they're going to slap our hands. And that wasn't what we were about. And so we pulled out the tech plan and we just went through it. So how'd that go? How'd that, oh, you, you didn't do that one because you decided you didn't need to do it. Isn't that wonderful? And they kind of looked at us like, it's wonderful. Yeah, because this tool allowed you to assess that and then now analyze it and say, I don't need to do that. I thought I did six months ago, but now that I've moved through the tech plan, I realize I don't need to do that. It was handled in an earlier step. 
And, and then, and you get to the end of this conversation and you're like, wow, you've done a lot. And they kind yes, of look indeed. up at you and go, I had no, you're right. We have done a lot. Why we actually are using this tech plan. Look at that. You know? And so you refresh what they've done. You show them they've had success when they may not be thinking they have. And then you release them to go continue down the path, which is so rewarding for me. And um, it's that journey, the long-term journey that I think the partnership of Paro is just invaluable. My team is amazing. I don't get to well, do that anymore. So it's my team. Uh, well, nice of you to give them credit, but you are oh, leading that team. And, give them all the credit. And it's, it has to be rewarding to see, I guess at first, sometimes the relief they feel when you came in <laughs> and then they're yeah. like, wow, we are doing things and making progress. Um, well, Kim, obviously we're here in Charlotte and, and we are wonderfully fortunate to have Aparo here. What, what is the kind of range geographically uh, in terms of the organizations you serve and do you see growth for Aparo? Yeah, I do see growth. Um, right now we are in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg 10 county region, the, 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 the contiguous counties around um, Mecklenburg. Um, but we're piloting different things in different markets. We've done one um, uh, over in the Chapel Hill area. We've done one in um, uh, Asheville, just to kind of see, we're, we're a very iterative organization. Yeah. We like to fail forward. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, fail fast and fail forward. So, you know, try something, pilot it, see how it goes. And then if it's going great, continue it. If not, move on. Um, and we've got a couple partners who who are thinking, we're working to, maybe help us expand what we do and practice more of, of this uh, longer range work because so many nonprofits really, really need this. And right. even in paid engagements, um, you know, the translation doesn't always happen. And, and it's right. nobody's fault. It, it's not a bad intention. It's just really hard to understand the nuances of the difference between a corporate world and a nonprofit world. It's, it's subtle, um, but it's important. Uh, in the navigation. And so I think there's great opportunity for Aparo to uh, continue this kind of work um, with larger nonprofits who are doing paid engagements and need that translator in the room. Right. Um, I, I would love to get us doing some of that, as well as, um, you know, a broader swath of uh, nonprofits. We, we uh, due to the Reimprise Fund and um, uh, Charlie uh, Elberson, uh, he funded a, a pilot for us a couple of years ago where we train the volunteers to be us in the room, to be the facilitator. And it's a very unique role. You know, project managers come in and they're kind of lost for a little bit, but then they get it. It is right. different than project management. Right. And um, we're, we're using them to expand our reach because it's so labor intensive. Um, you know, you have to have a person, a body in the room, part of the, part of the conversation. And so we're beginning to use volunteers to do that work that is core to our work and we call them change agents and we train them once or twice a year and we've got about uh, 10 of them, 12 of them now. And um, so that really has expanded our ability to reach. And then, you know, how do we do that in other markets as well? Because, you know, Raleigh is asking us all the time, how can you please come help me? I can imagine. And, and, yeah. and um, people in Florida are asking a lot. Please exactly. Come help me. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to ask you because we have listeners, you know, listening maybe from anywhere across the country, even around the world, but uh, are, are there other, uh, equivalent organizations to Aparo if I'm listening from somewhere else or can Aparo help refer me to other organizations? Again, I, I know we can't pile on to your already busy plate you're serving no, no, no. our region, but uh, are there other organizations like Aparo elsewhere in the country? Yes, there are. Um, 
but not like us. We, we do right. it very uniquely uh, because right. we do it through skilled volunteering. Most of our work is skilled volunteering, but there are a couple of nonprofits who do it um, for, with nonprofits in paid engagements. Okay. So they come in and actually do the work versus bringing in skilled volunteers. And that would be Tech Impact out of Philadelphia. Okay. And they have a national footprint. And then um, Tech Bridge in Atlanta, they also have a fairly national footprint. And if you want to do it without a facilitator, which I think is really hard in the tech space, um, there's a match.com called uh, Taproot Foundation. Okay. And they um, have, you know, skilled volunteers who are ready to engage. Uh, uh, a lot of their work is in the marketing and strategy space, but they do have a technology arm. I don't know how rich it is. I don't know, but um, right, right, but something that, to that's consider. an option, and they are national, if not international. So. Uh, great resources there. I'll, of course, include them in the show notes. But uh, it, again, uh, I want to lift up the unique process you have, and hopefully Apara will continue to grow, which yeah. benefits nonprofits everywhere. And and I, I love your those three headlines you mentioned. You know, it, it seems to me that is a good kind of leadership lesson for any uh, nonprofit leader. The, the technology business process some sort of uh, analysis or assessment there. We all should be doing that, right? And of course you right. help uniquely guide that. And the technology planning, which I'm afraid a lot of nonprofits simply don't do. Um, no. And of course you help with that investment, right? I guess that's right. the third point. I'm Just to remind our listeners, would you call it the application part? Or that's application the, selection, yeah. Selection is yeah. something that can be intimidating, but is something that's so vital. Um, yeah. It, are there anything else you've seen? And I guess in this digital environment, are you getting new requests or different types of requests given the virtual world that nonprofits are now living in? Um, yeah, absolutely. And during the COVID time, we have just had so much requests for Microsoft Office um, support and training, yes, big yes. training requests in that space. Big, big, big. Um, we've had some requests for some Google, but not as much. Um, we've had, you know, requests for helping with, um, laptops and that kind of environment. Um, right. and, and we're actually in a space right now, um, compass group and CSI have very generously created a, um, uh, an outpouring of some, uh, refurbished, uh, computers and E2D is going to have their students actually work on that. So it's a wonderful community build wow. kind of situation. Um, and some of those, a lot of, most of those are going to E2D to go into the digital divide. Um, but we have about a hundred PCs coming to us. So, so we'll be able to give some, you know, providing things. And we also have partnerships in that space. So, um, you know, definitely, um, lots of help, you know, people have just really, nonprofits have really struggled with, um, where they are on the digital divide themselves. Right. Um, right. How ready they were for this. Um, we have served as many nonprofits. We have served twice as many nonprofits this year as we did um, last year, uh, just My because goodness. of what has come across in the education space um, for us um, during COVID. Yeah, it's it's remarkable what you all have done, and kudos to you and your team. Um, with already busy before the pandemic, yeah, you have you have uh, continued to expand your services. And I know Kim, you're doing some very cool webinars and other trainings that, that I believe are available to nonprofits that are not partners as well, right? And part of your oh, community yeah. and, service. And being a partner, will. being a partner is just logging into a webinar. You're a partner. Yeah. You know, so so it, it, there's no 
fee for, for services. It's just you're if you're a nonprofit and you reach out, um, you're a partner and you, you know you can do what you can do access whatever you need from us. Um, but uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we have one coming up this afternoon. As a matter of fact, you and I were talking about it earlier, yeah, talking yeah. about virtual events. And so we we're bringing together panel discussions. We have a whole series of webinars um, under navigating the crisis. Uh, that we did weekly free of charge for nonprofits around remote work. And you can access all of those on our website under navigating the crisis. And Love we it. pivoted Love that it. to navigating the normal. And um, so that we're now doing, you know, and, and we record them and those are also on the website, uh, but you can also come and listen to them. Um, uh, they're about monthly now, I think. Uh, well, our, our listeners should definitely book Marco Paro. So that will be underlined in the yeah. uh, show notes. And it's wonderful that the community service in essence that you're providing, and it's not limited, obviously, to this region, given that type of uh, framework. But today's uh, webinar, I think is a perfect segue to a topic that all of our nonprofit friends are talking about, Kim, you and I both know it. What do I do about my fundraising event? Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was critical to my revenue stream, and now I got to go virtual. Well, in fact, you pivoted beautifully and had a highly successful uh, virtual event. Let's talk about that. How did you t- talk about the mindset, I guess, first of, uh oh, we're going to have to do it virtual, and mm-hmm. what'd you do? Um, you know, we, we put it off <laughs> for a long time. We did not want to acknowledge that it was going to have to happen, and then we did. <laughs> right. We kept pushing the date out, and clearly it wasn't going to happen. And so, um, we work with an amazing um, event planner, um, uh, Cassie Brown, who runs uh, TCG uh, events, it used to be called Tribble, and uh, she's amazing. And um, we as a team all talked about, you know, the Zoom events had gotten really, we, we could already foresee back in June that people were burned out by it. They didn't want to do another virtual event. Exactly. And we needed to create some way for people to engage with one another and still have this event where we would share the impact the way we needed to and raise money. Um, so we decided we needed to do some live presentation. We thought that was important. Okay. Um, we decided entertainment wasn't at that point um, and that making the length shorter was important. Uh, we decided um, that, you know, you know, just really making it a whole event about the impact, just really leaning into that completely and, and making it, we, we sent boxes home with some fun things. So people had these exquisite boxes. They really were branded and beautiful for our sponsors and for us. And they were all mission forward, and, but also very colorful and exciting. And inside were some very fun gifts and foods and things um, to enable fun at the evening and the event. Um, so we had a, two games that were happening throughout the evening that forced you to engage with the content that was yeah, happening if you right. chose to play the game. Um, you know, all kinds of ways to make it a different Zoom meeting than you were used to. And we wrapped around it um, a tool called Yo Tribe, which is a very unique um, interpersonal networking platform um, that we found. And it allowed you to come in before the event and, and you become a bubble. And you can navigate your bubble around the screen and bump into other bubbles. And then you're in a conversation. That's fascinating. And then you can leave that conversation as a bubble and you go to a different conversation. And it's not a completely clean tool. Uh, you know, there, there's some things, uh, you know, you don't know more than the didn't, bubble. Didn't so you really, yeah, right. You, you don't know whether that's a, whatever it is that you don't know as you're moving around, uh, but it's evolving more and more. And people loved that because it was fun. 
it was yeah. something fun on the computer instead of a Zoom call. Kind of a passive, so, I'm not just a passive audience member, right? Right. And so it, uh, we just tried in a lot of ways to just really um, make the event unique and explore some innovative tools um, that we thought would resonate with the audience. Well, it's fantastic. And to your credit, you raised- People are so generous. Well, I was going to say, you yeah. raise even more money. And I, I think you acknowledge that some of it may be just your community is very generous mm-hmm. and they rose to the occasion. But you also gave your sponsors, you know, what they wanted, right? I mean, I know that you have a lot of generous sponsors and you needed to create an environment they felt they were still getting that benefit. But maybe talk about how you created sponsor value. Yeah, well, the sponsor value was that pre and post with the ability to talk to people. Um, Because our sponsors, a lot of them sponsor our event for the networking uh, and maybe partially the the impact that we do, but you know, some of it's just for the networking. And so, um, you know, how do we make sure that they're getting that in an environment where you can't talk face to face? So that was why it was really important to put a tool in there where they could have talk face to face time. So um, that really helped, I think. And I really think the timing of the event, I don't know if it's true anymore because again, you're in this pandemic exhaustion, right? Yeah, right. In the beginning, people were, you know, everyone was, come on, you know, we're going to do this together. We're going to get out of it. And probably about August was when you kind of left that high enough yeah. of it hit gonna, you. Right. people are tired of it. And um, so I don't know if it would still happen, but everybody told me in the spring, um, oh, people are so generous right now. You're going to be fine with your fundraiser. And I thought, no, not going to happen. Yeah, and right. it did. It did. People were you know, really understood that nonprofits are suffering and that that causes suffering for the people they serve. And it's all about, you know, and so many more people are suffering <laughs> uh, that they, people felt that. And I think they came to the event with that in mind. And we also articulated that. You know, we made that part of the event. We pivoted the event to, to lay right in the space of the pandemic and the um, racial uh, unrest. You know, we, we played right in that space because, so we became very current. Yes, um, indeed. Because we needed to. You demonstrated the agility necessary, didn't you? And mm-hmm. But I'm asking a lot of uh, nonprofit leaders, Kim, uh, given the uncertainty looking forward, how are you approaching strategic planning as the Aparo organization, uh, are you kind of narrowing the the kind of scope looking forward because it's hard to predict five years or whatever, or talk about how you kind of personally and organizationally are approaching strategic planning? I don't know how we're going to approach it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be answer. kicking it off here in the next month. And, um, you know, even budgeting, Patton. Right. You know, so right. I created a budget for this year and I'm, I'm like laughing going, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and it's not that it's bad or good. It's just right. not going to happen that way. So, you know, th- this coming month, we're going to be looking at that and saying, okay. So, <laughs> so, so you end up, um, you know, the budget process, because last year was so weird, right? Your numbers fell so strangely because where your expenses didn't come in or did it or and where your revenue, so it was a weird year. And so, I found that I was budgeting over a two-year cycle. I'm trying to get my board to understand that, to say, okay, we have to understand last year was an anomaly. If it was high, if it was low, whatever. So this year is the second year is an anomaly too. We're going to try to mesh them together so that we can get to some understanding of two year. Well, now it's going to be three. I mean, it absolutely is going to be three years of budgets because the gathering for these events that we all have, 
you know, mine are unique because of how perhaps because of how the, the sponsors need that face-to-face -face networking to right. have their value. Um, but we all have the events. And if we can't have them, are we really going to be able to bring 600 people together in September of 2021? Yeah. Even if we can, will people want Will they to? show up? Right. Right. So what, what, how, and then what does that do to your budget? The cost of putting it on the revenue versus, so it, it you know, the budgeting and the strategic plan, it's just, we are in a very nimble, what we're calling strategic diversification environment right now. Yep. So we're exploring and, and, and um, what we call exploring and piloting stages right now on a variety of things to see what's going to stick and how we move forward. Um, and fortunately, we began that last year before COVID, um, a very iterative strategic planning process. So, well, it's, I really appreciate you sharing frankly, and, and just honestly, the reality of we're, none of us have it figured out and we have no. to adapt and we have to be agile in this environment. And I guess all of the wonderful advice, Kim, you've provided, is there anything else you would add to other nonprofit leaders that are struggling? Again, I, I, I go back to your opening statement about allowing your team grace. Uh, I think that's a beautiful kind of mindset for nonprofit leaders to consider all the way through all the technical advice you're offering from budget planning and things like that. But anything else you would add to a nonprofit leader right now listening, just kind of seeking things that can help them do their job better? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd give it to the nonprofit leader and to their board of directors, okay. um, to yep. both of them. The nonprofit leader, the ED, the CEO needs to give themselves grace. It's a really hard lift right now Yep. Um, because you are dealing with people who are frightened both as constituents and as employees and and they're it's changing how they're frightened because it again it's so protracted right. and you know they they need to give themselves grace too um and realize that you know it can't all get done sometimes and that's okay and and it's going to have to be okay and and you can't put that all on your shoulders and the board of directors you know really lift up your ceos and your eds they need you now. They need you to lift them more than anything. Um, they've got wonderful teams um, and they'll come to you if they have issues. And nobody's shy about coming to a board. Um, but right now, board of directors can really, really think about how can I lift my nonprofit teams and their CEOs? What can I do that would make them feel appreciated and empowered in the work that they're doing? I think that and it's what, you know, CEOs and EDs need to do for their teams too, right? Sure, it's what we all sure. need to be doing for people. And that is the most we can do, I think, um, is that lifting of one another. So well put. And I do hope there are board members listening or we can get that message to them because yeah, you're right. It's, important. it's such a fundamental need. And You get uh, caught in the panic. Right. You get caught in the, in the high demand of the job, of the work, and you forget to take a moment to appreciate. Yep. We're going to burn ourselves out if we don't have mm -hmm. that kind of collaborative exactly spirit, right. aren't we? Right. Exactly right. And staff, CEOs, all of them, right? Well, fantastic advice as you have given throughout this conversation. Um, you. Kim, you have been uh, a leader on an upward trajectory since you got into nonprofit. Clearly, you have been one to focus on lifelong learning and getting better. Uh, has there been, as you know, I always ask my guests, has there been a book or other resource that you have turned to or helped you that you might recommend to others? 
Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be, you know, open kimono here and tell the team that I told Patton, I, I am not a big reader of professional books. They, they bore That's me. Okay. I'm sorry to say, guys, but they do. And, and, but, I, but I learned nonetheless. So I, yes. I've been more of an article reader, like um, Harvard Business Review. You know, that, that's something that I've found. And the way I found it um, was LinkedIn. So, you know, LinkedIn Good. is an incredible Good. resource if you follow, you don't have to follow everything. You don't have to be trendy and all that kind of thing, but find a, resor- a resource that you find compelling. And then you get these, these bits. And, and to me, the bits are more useful to me than the whole book for yeah. the most part. Right. Um, so I, I have found spending money on premium LinkedIn, um, not that you're looking for jobs, but if you go to that job site when, when you're a premium and you, and you, they have some great content there about upping your professional game. You know, it's all around, you know, looking for the next job, but it's really about upping your professional game. And, and, and I find those articles really interesting. And Excellent. following Harvard Business Review is another one. And I do have one book that I, that I want to shout out uh, that um, is written by a, a local team of women uh, leader um, coaches, really. Right. And it's called The Influence Effect. Um, it was written by Heath, Flynn, Holt, and Faison. Oh, yeah. Good. And um, it's a, not a long book. It's a short book. And it's uh, about leading with influence um, uh, and particularly how that is a, an important element for women leaders um, versus uh, and how that plays into um, working in, in male-dominated environments and, and working um, you know, with board of directors who can oftentimes be male-dominated, those kinds of things. And I, and I felt that that book was really compelling and worth reading the whole thing, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, that, that means a lot, uh, coming from someone who, who may not choose books. <laughs> exactly. But this book must have been good <laughs> to get your attention. And it's a quick course, read and it's easy. Yeah, exactly. And, and you've added wonderful resources to our list and, and delighted to lift them up in the show notes. And speaking of the show notes, Kim, where can people go to find out more about you and the, the great work you're doing at Aparo? Well, of course, you can always go to our website. And that uh, Aparo is spelled A-P-P-A-R-O dot O-R-G. So that's our website. Excellent. And you can look at all kinds of resources there. That the is blog fantastic. is a really great place. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And like I said, I, I'm going to encourage our listeners, regardless of where they're located in the, this region or anywhere else, uh, the Aparo website is something you need to have on your uh, kind of bookmarks because of the resources you offer. So thank you again, Kim, for joining me on the path. Well, thank you, Patton, for creating the path for us to share this. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know Patton, he's a pretty amazing uh, resource for all kinds of expertise in both uh, small business and nonprofit fundraising and business management. So you're too kind. Thank you. I'm Kim. not. I'm accurate. <laughs> all right, Kim, keep up the good work. Thanks again. Thank you, Patton. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kim as much as I did and came away with some really practical ideas that can guide you in your nonprofit leadership journey and in particular your organization as it contemplates how it could better leverage technology. Don't forget to check out the show notes there on our website, patentmcdowell.com, where you can find out more about Aparo's programs and resources that can help you and your organization. Certainly worth a bookmark Uh, I would suggest for Aparo. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. If you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at pattonmcdowell.com and you'll see links to Apple, Spotify, and all of the primary 
platforms. Don't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features like this one that we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.